that are talking about lead times that are, are 52 weeks. I'm like, well, the suppliers, I'm like, guys, just tell us it's going to be a year. You know, <laughs> like, none of us have experienced this before. So now we've got a tailing pandemic and layer of war on. This is the Contractor's Corner podcast series from Solar Power World. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Contractor's Corner podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Misbrenner. I'm the managing editor at Solar Power World magazine. Um, I hope all of our Northern listeners um, in areas like me in Ohio are starting to enjoy our return to warm weather. And that's like 50 degrees for us is um, we're busting out the t-shirts out here. So I hope everyone's enjoying spring wherever you are. Um, I know it's a hard time in the world right now with the war in Ukraine. And I know that we are really feeling it here in the United States with our energy situation and very high prices at the pump. Um, And of course, renewables have been a big part of this conversation. It's clear that if we had more uh, renewable homegrown energy, we would not be in such dire straits right now. Um, And the Biden administration says the same thing. In a March 11th speech on this subject, um, President Biden said, this crisis is a stark reminder to protect our economy over the long term, we need to become energy independent and accelerate the transition to clean energy. So once again, we're getting another signal from the federal government that renewables and clean energy are very important, especially in light of current events. But at the same time, we're seeing issues stateside where solar is being discouraged in markets where it's not flourishing yet. So in Florida, net metering is about to be gutted if uh, Governor DeSantis decides to sign the bill that um, will switch to net billing and will allow utilities to impose solar fees on solar customers too. Uh, And it does seem like DeSantis is expected to sign this bill. As of recording on March 15th, he has not yet, but... I know the industry is bracing for that. Um, We are still waiting on a decision in California as well with their net metering 3.0 case. So again, it is March 15th and things change very quickly, um, but we will be covering that whenever it does happen. So just another reminder that even though the federal level is saying we need more renewables, there's so many other factors at play for if solar is allowed to grow at the speed that it needs to. In our corner of the world at Solar Power World, we just finished up our March issue, which is our special residential install tips issue. So we got advice from a number of NABSEP presenters on how installers can get ahead of the curve with new technology, um, some fun tips that they may not find in a um, manual, along with some other neat advice on installing solar in 2022. So we've got that special section. And then also in the magazine and soon to be online, if not already, uh, Kelly takes a look at the new frontier of virtual power plants, which is a super exciting new initiative from some forward thinking utilities. So she lays all that that whole structure out really well in her story and also how installers can use it as a sell, a selling point with 
homeowners, they can stand to make additional money on their solar and storage installation if they enroll in a VPP in the territories that allow it. Also in the magazine, uh, Billy writes about a tricky installation on a barn from the 1880s that was moved piece by piece from Michigan to Illinois on this family farm. And its next journey was to be solar powered and to power their family farm. So read his case study and check out his cool pictures. Um, got some vertical solar on the side of the barn. You got to check it out. And then I wrote in the magazine about the different types of inverters used in solar plus storage installations. I kept seeing at trade shows, battery inverters, hybrid inverters, and sometimes the salespeople couldn't even tell me what the difference was. So I got that straightened out in my own head, even though I'm sure a lot of people already knew this, but I took a look at the different strengths of each architecture there, along with some inverters that are kind of breaking the mold uh, like end phases IQ8. So I did dive into that. I know that's a super exciting new product that some people are interested to get their hands on. So read my story to hear about that. Um, we hope you enjoy this issue of the magazine, um, both online and in print. If you're not subscribed to the print edition and you want to get it, it is free. You just need to go to our website, solarpowerworldonline.com and subscribe. There's a link at the top. All right, and moving right along to this month's Contractors Corner interview, I talked to Scott Buckley. He's the president of Green Lantern Solar based in Vermont, but they're installing all over the uh, Northeast and Mid-Atlantic and quickly expanding. Uh, Scott told me about Green Lantern's pioneering work doing dual-use projects um, with farmland and solar, as well as doing really neat brownfield work. Um, including a former weapons base that now has solar. Very prescient for these times as well. Scott also talks about his hope for a more sustainable solar industry as far as recycling goes. So just get ready for a great conversation with Scott. And thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. I am here with Scott Buckley. He is the new president of Green Lantern Solar. Hi, Scott. Hey, Kelsey. Thanks for having me on today. Real pleasure to be here. All right, Scott. So let's uh, start by getting to know you a little better. How did you personally get into the solar industry? Yeah, so it, it started as a, a need to help my dad. So my dad was getting older in age, and uh, he owned a, a mine in West Virginia, where I'm from which is making a lot of <laughs> national headlines these days. So um, he needed a way to have some income on the mine property now that all the resources had been you know, depleted over the years. And so we started looking around and, and um, thought, well, you know, this, there's power that comes into the mine, three-phase power. It's really flat because it was a, a strip <laughs> strip mine <laughs> right and you're like you're a solar guy you're down to yes uh, <laughs> uh so it was really well cited for for solar so we thought that that would be the highest and best use for the land and this has been oh my goodness uh a while ago uh, i'll say <laughs> and that revealing my age um so we started to go forward with it and then realized you know oh my goodness there's an inordinate fee to pay for a PGM interconnection. And so we're able to hook up with a developer at that time 
Uh, and I had the fortune of going to grad school and, and actually took a class in sustainable finance and investing. It's like, man, this stuff is, man, it's really fascinating. Like there's a, there's a tangible asset that we build that helps employees, the environment, um, because I had been working in brownfield cleanup and real estate and business before uh, and wanted to use those skills and translate it into, into solar and what we're doing now. So it all started with helping my dad. That is really neat. And to come yeah. from a fossil fuel background and transition, yours is the story of the future, really. <laughs> well, I like that. <laughs> I mean, at its core, that's that's well what's said. happening. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's and it's. I think you know, writ large, sort of the the opportunity for West Virginia. And there's a lot of people doing some great work down there. Um, Dan Conant with Solar Haulers really uh, boots on the ground, pushing things forward. Um, and the legislature is in West Virginia is taking action on that. And I've heard uh, recently that Senator Manchin, who I actually worked for in West Virginia, um, is taking some you know, great strides and open to new possibilities for Build Back Better and, and bills that um, you know, even the United Mine Workers in West Virginia support support the bill. So some really strong minds down there and looking forward to their progress. What has been the most rewarding moment of your solar career so far? I think the rewarding moment is, uh, it's a series of moments strung together and they're, you know, strung together on a, on a theme. So our projects, it's, it's really, it's when we get a new permit for a project that those are the, the moments that um, really make it come alive. And also when the project goes to COD place and service, uh, PTO. So the first sort of dinner uh, or moment is knowing that, you know, the hard work, the risk, uh, the, <laughs> the development intensity from our, our group uh, has paid off. And, you know, a public institution has recognized the, the good that these projects will deliver. And so it's a really great feeling around the office. I use office in air quotes. We've actually been remote the entire time. So we don't have a fixed physical central office. Um, but that feeling of, hey, you know, we get another chance to deliver a project to folks. And then it happens again on the end when the project goes online. And we know that, um, you know, our, our counterparties, the off-takers, uh, the scholarships and the schools that we, we sponsor, all those things are now going to happen uh, for the community. And that's, that's very impactful for me. It's, it's very different than, I think, other you know, prior sort of businesses. The, the cleanup period and brownfield remediation is, you know, it's, it's years and years long. While great, it, it's just there's more of an immediacy here. And it's in the community and you can see the solar array. Well, not ours, we cite them really well, but as do others. Um, but there's this sense of community built around uh, taxes going back in and, and the, those moments make a difference. And that feels really good. How would you say Green Lantern stands out from other <laughs> contractors? Awesome name. <laughs> um, I think I think the the things really that make us uh, unique in this space. Uh, one is full vertical integration. 
you know, we, um, we've seen a thing or, or three really. Uh, we understand looking at a project from a developer standpoint. Uh, we do our own internal uh, financing, bring sponsor capital lay on debt, TE, so we understand finance. Uh, we understand what it means when you have to build a project. And now there's a, a <laughs> international module supply shortage and, and how do we complete these projects you know, for our investors, for our counterparties, uh, for the off-takers, for people who are, need this clean power to go on the grid. So we've, we've done so many projects that, that with the same team that the continuity the institutional knowledge, managing down the experience curve, you know, we've, we've done that from uh, the full stack. And I think a, an important part of that too is the, the broad base of experience and seasoned professionals on the team. So we have folks who have a background in real estate, uh, business, uh, the US military. We, we hire a lot of veterans, uh, people who run you know, entire platoons in the military. I, I don't, whatever the number is, it's a lot of people in the military. <laughs> I apologize and thank you for the military for having done that. But um, so folks that can bring a different lens onto the conversation and seasoned professionals that say, well, hey, wait a second, what if we, what if we do it this way? Um, we have a problem and we can create a way around, through, above. Um, that's you know, really what makes us uh, additionally, you know, uh, sort of unique in the space. And then layered on top of that, we're a pioneer. You know, we did, uh, Luke and Bill did some of the very first uh, structured tax equity finance deals in, in the United States and, and started the North, certainly Vermont, likely Northeast, um, uh, first commercially financeable PPA among the first. And so, you know, our history actually started out as a financial consulting firm participating and helping other companies, you know, blend, uh, especially municipalities and nonprofits that couldn't harvest the ITC. Uh, we, Green Lantern, was able to figure out a mechanism to couple finance with nonprofits and folks who couldn't, you know, use that. So it's turned out to work for, I think it's like 50 towns and 65 schools. Maybe that's reversed, but it's on our, you know, it's on our, on our website, but, uh, dozens and dozens of towns and schools as a result. We'll be right back. Today's podcast is sponsored by Scanafly. Are you sick of climbing on ladders, tape measuring roofs, and drafting layouts from scratch paper? Now you can ditch your 19th century tools and scale the 21st century's energy source. Scanafly is the only drone-based solar software focused on automating the survey and design stages of your solar project's life. Drones and Scanafly software will reduce your on-site time by up to 90%, allow you to survey three to five times more projects in a day, all while reducing roof time and getting the most accurate measurements for a project. Contact them on their website or take their free course to become a solar drone pilot today at scanafly.com surveyor-associate-program. This podcast is also sponsored by Company Cam. With Company Cam, there's no more second guessing what's getting done or pestering your crews to send you pictures. Every photo and video your workers take at a job is automatically organized by location and instantly synced from the field to wherever you are. 
Now you'll know exactly what's happening across your company. Get started today at companycam.com solar. Now back to the show. What has been the most unique project your company has completed? So there are three that come to mind. The first is going to be uh, Green Mountain Power, uh, the largest electric utility in Vermont hired us to do a, a microgrid in Essex, Vermont for them. And so it's it's a really uh, interesting project that and GMP, Green Mountain Power, has been working to um, it, sort of make the grid more resilient and robust in that area, which is just outside Burlington. And so we did, a, I think it's about a, about a 6.7 meg array um, and coupled with a, a, a battery, obviously for, you know, sort of an anti-islanding effect uh, in the local, or I guess in this case, it would be an islanding effect in case the, uh, the, the primary grid goes down. Uh, so it was a really neat project that we we built in Essex for Green Mountain Power. Uh, another project, uh, sort of back to that that pioneer theme. Uh, quite some time ago, we did an array in Benson, Vermont, and it's in. I know the the you know the buzzword floats around now of agrovoltaics, but this is truly uh, uh, it's an elevated array, you know, standard fixed tilt, but the cows come and get shade under the array. So it reduces their heat stress. Uh, it, there's no lost ground because the animals still use the area. It's before they go into the barn. So it, it really works well uh, and gives a you know stream of income to the farmer to hedge against milk price volatility. So they uh, he really enjoyed that. And the third one is uh, a missile base. So in, in Alberg, Vermont, we did a project on a former uh, ICBM missile base. You know, the ones that you imagine with like the Quanta huts and like the blaring alarms and the missiles are going to shoot across <laughs> over to Europe and Asia uh, during, I think it was you know, during the Cold War or such, but uh, we built our array, again, fixed tilt, um, right over the top of that infrastructure. And so what used to be used to shoot Missiles is now used to make solar power. So that's a, a really intriguing array. That's a nice little homegrown Vermont peace and love story. I like that. <laughs> it is, right? It's like, talk about like beneficial reuse or dual use, you know, it's, it's make solar, not, not missiles. So yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the town still uses the, the Quonset hut from, you know, in the military installation for like their, sand and salt during the wintertime in their road crew operations. Ingenuity, Vermont ingenuity. So what is preventing you from installing more projects? That's a good one. There are a few uh, headwinds, as it were. And you know, we, sh- we share the same pain that really all the other industries do with the, you know, uh, I guess the, the, the equilibrium offset that's happened in the global supply chain. Uh, I spoke with the CEO of a solar panel manufacturer who has plenty of product and it's ready to go you know, for, for our arrays, but they have no shipping containers. And this has been talked about in you know, sort of, uh, and even, even you know, uh, uh, with SPW, um, the solve for that, 
it's going to take somebody a lot smarter than, than me to figure it out. But I think one of the solves is time. And so there's a disconnect between the amount of capital flowing in um, because there's an intense amount of capital pouring into our industry, uh, increased pressure from environmental sustainability goals, uh, active investors, or in some cases, activist investors even, uh, that the tax equity side uh, is secured lower prices on debt, even though now we're, we're likely going to see the Fed is signaling a um, compensatory mechanism against inflation. So prime's going to rise. That's going to be a little more expensive to be expected, you know, given the inflationary uh, pressures. But that hasn't been our constraint and still continues not to be our constraint. It's not a question of finance. It is a question of physically getting the arrays built and now what we're seeing with Russia's invasion and war uh, onto Ukraine, our suspicion and sense is that um, it's going to get less good for the supply chain. It's really bad for the folks in Ukraine. Um, and that effect will, will be felt here domestically without any question. Um, and so we're you know, building our business plans and models to ameliorate that risk as best we can, because we can, you know, we can, that's not true. It's uncertainty because we can model risk. Um, we can you know, use a, a discount uh, to appropriately assign a, a risk uh, weight to that, but not to uncertainty. You know, uncertainty is a wholly different animal without a associated coefficient that we can say, okay, this is, this is what we think the, the rate's going to be, or, we can do this to hedge. So that's really what preventing us from us, every other solar contractor. Um, you know, we were they were talking about lead times that are, are 52 weeks. I'm like, well, the suppliers, I'm like, guys, just tell us it's gonna be a year. You know, <laughs> like it's just it's a long time. Things that were maybe a month, maybe six weeks before, it's no fault of any of the suppliers. They're doing the best they can. We've got great suppliers, everybody's working as hard as they can but none of us have experienced this before. So now we've got a tailing pandemic and layer of war on and, and people are doing absolutely the best they can, but um, you know, short of sitting on stockpiles, which is extremely capital intense of uh, product material. And it's, yeah, it's gonna be a push to get these projects in the ground. And, and we have a very good crew who's done, you know, what is it more than uh, uh, just in the Northeast alone, more than 115 CNI projects. So. I know what they're doing. Do you think at the same time the supply chain is going to be further constricted, that there's going to be more of a federal push for homegrown renewable energy? I think thinking through it from a push perspective and from a result perspective are going to be two different lenses. The push perspective, uh, sure, onshoring would be uh, would reduce the module supply component of the of the supply chain. Of course, we have to look at steel uh, you know, for racking, inverters, balance the system and plant operations. So while modules are one part of it, uh, steel price has tripled <laughs> during the the pandemic. So, uh, it's sort of that expanding hydraulic tension model where you fix a problem here and then it 
then it shifts to a, another another area. Even if we did, let's say we we do manufacture modules at home, where does the silicon come from to to as a raw material to go into those modules? And so there's still going to be a rate limiting factor, even as you you know uh, sort of backward integrate into the supply chain and as SBW has <laughs> reported on before, a lot of the silicon comes from China. We just don't physically have the reserves here. And so we can't uncouple our production capabilities from a, a, a global supply chain because we, we still have to get those raw materials. Now, yes, we absolutely have some supply here, but not enough to, to equilibrate a demand response. So, um, and, but there are some really cool companies and you guys actually did, I think it was like September last year, an article, uh, it's Crossroads, Crossroads Solar. Yeah, so Kelly what they're reported doing. on that, yeah. Yeah, that is really, I love their saying, it's something like perfect panels made by people who made mistakes or something like that. Yes, incredible. So seeing more of that, um, more innovation, more thinking about because we, we do have to be competitive just like anything every time you buy something from amazon it's i shouldn't use amazon but an online retailer sorry amazon please don't send me a letter <laughs> it's likely that it was manufactured abroad and so every you know, short of every industry is facing the same thing we are and so it's not just us yeah on the more positive side, what are some on the positive <laughs> note? <laughs> what are some future product trends you're looking forward to? We've got a uh, a few here that we think um, folks that are uh, sort of opportunities that we see, and maybe the maybe the folks over at Crossroads can uh, can get on this. But cell to cell recycling. So we talked earlier about having a you know, a resource constraint, a, a really commodity, a silicon commodity constraint. And we're still relying on other countries, whether it's China or you pick the country, <laughs> we still need to import. If there's a, me the mechanism doesn't exist now, but as our industry matures, you know, other industries have matured mechanisms to recover uh, steel and aluminum present on our sites. Great. So that's taken care of. Uh, but the forward-looking uh, technology adoption to really disintegrate and disassemble and recycle uh, silicon from cells and a mechanism to regenerate efficiency and then make, make those same panels, make other silicon products, uh, like all the chips in your iPhone or the computers that we're using. It's all starts the same. It's sand. And so having that recoverable uh, recoverable asset really is something that we're looking forward to. It's gonna take a while to figure out how to you know, delaminate the cells and pull back the, the, the metals and materials, but you know, as did <laughs> common sort recycling, you know, single, single sort, single stream recycling, we fix that, you know? Uh, there are some companies uh, that, that really figured out how to do it based on demand. And so hopefully there are some really smart folks out there working on that. Um, another, something else that we're you know, keeping an eye on and thinking about is, uh, is it, it's less of a product and more of a use pattern. 
so dual use, getting back that idea of you know pine of being a pioneer at least uh, in our area of um, you know with the with the agrivoltaics. Uh, what other mechanisms? Because I, I think right now it's seen as a binary choice. It's either solar or something else, or it is uh, solar, but, and, and I think, and we are moving to solar and, solar and agriculture, solar and grazing. A few of our race have sheep that graze, not goats. Do not use goats. <laughs> justice on that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're jumpers. Oh, totally. And the sheep like bump into the racking. They just bounce right off. It's no big deal. It's <laughs> a great visual. Sloppy. Yeah, right. <laughs> so definitely sheep um, on that. And and that's a solar and, you know, it's not taking, uh, and solar really actually preserves the land if you think about it, because we pull everything back out uh, 30 years down the road and you've got a, a gorgeous green piece of land there that usually we clean up as a brownfield in some cases. So uh, it's solar and something else. That's the way we're thinking of it. Thank you so much, Scott, for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, uh, Kelsey. I really enjoyed being on the show and uh, looking forward to reading more of your guys' publications in the future and learning. Oh, thank you. This has been another edition of Contractors Corner. Join us each month as I talk to solar contractors across the country. Thanks for listening to this Solar Power World podcast. Visit us online at solarpowerworldonline.com for more great featured content and breaking solar news. See you back here next month.